0: down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. how bet you get 30, 30, bet you get 30, I bet you get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus
0: taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Man, on the political side of this equation, President Biden and the Biden administration have been very vocal and open about the potential sanctions that they could put in place uh, if Russia invades Ukraine. And and, and that is uh, certainly shown by... This is Tom Fox. Welcome to part two of a special two-part podcast with Matt Silverman on potential sanctions against Russia, should they have invaded Ukraine. In part two, we're going to take a look at what you can do to prepare for such an eventuality and more importantly, why going through that exercise will give you a template if this comes up in the future and allows you to have a more comprehensive assessment of your overall trade compliance response in the event of massive sanctions. This special two-part podcast series on potential trade sanctions involving Russia is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Matt, on the political side of this equation, President Biden and the Biden administration have been very vocal and open about the potential sanctions that they could put in place uh, if Russia invades Ukraine, and and, and that is uh, certainly shown by Uh, The breadth and depth of what you've been able to report to us here on this podcast, but it's also given people like yourself the opportunity to think through, how do I prepare for this? And uh, I think I laughed with you on one podcast uh, we did previously where it seemed like some days under the Trump administration, a new sanction or reg was coming out literally three times a day, and you guys were about as busy as, as someone could be. Uh, at certain times. But this really seems to have taken all of what we saw into the Trump administration and, and really taken it up a notch in terms of what you and your colleagues in trade compliance have to do. So it's an incredibly long-winded way of, of introducing the topic of when you thought through this, how did you think through or how did you counsel your company uh, that they needed to to prepare for this? Or if, if you wanted to step back and, and really take the Uh, view from uh, a trade compliance director, which is of course what you are, how would you think through preparation with so much public information available?
0: Yeah, so um, that's a a really great great question. I appreciate it. So there is a lot of information available, um, um, some information that we don't really know, but we can um, kind of guess based on what's happened in the past, what could be coming um, in the future. So based on, you know, a little bit of preparation on what could be coming, what we expect to come, whether it's the foreign direct product rule or SDN list, et cetera, um, there's a few different steps here and a few different things that that my team has done. We're, I work for a telecommunications and technology company. Um, so it, it may differ a little bit versus what an aerospace company does versus what someone in the uh, food industry does or, you um, or telecommunications, etc. But for the most part, and I think the biggest thing is to prepare ahead of time. And there's a couple reasons. One is, um, especially with regard to what's going on now, some of the sanctions being talked about are preemptive. In other words, even if Russia doesn't invade for another day, for another week, for another two weeks, assuming that they do. Um, you know, we could see sanctions coming down that are preemptive, that are meant to dissuade Russia from invading. So if you're thinking, hey, we can just wait this off until something actually happens, um, you you may you may come to be surprised that um, that there may be sanctions imposed prior to an actual invasion. And then, of course, even if it's the case that sanctions don't, uh, or I'm sorry, an invasion uh, you know, happens and then sanctions don't come down the line until after the invasion. Uh, you may need to immediately take action and and waiting a couple days or a week to get together with your team and figure out, okay, we have to work on these supply chain issues now and we have to make sure we look at our contracts. Th- those are all things that ideally you want to do ahead of time. And, and given the fact that we have had so much um, – Kind of advanced warning, right? We've had troops on um, on the border for quite a while now. Uh, it, there's really no excuse to not at least be doing some kind of preliminary overview of, okay, what are the potential issues? What are the potential sanctions and how could it impact our company? So I, I think the, the overall message is start doing it now, if you haven't already, especially if you do business with, have suppliers in, have business partners in Russia, um, and what you're trying to do is basically ascertain your exposure, considering how some or all of these actions uh, could impact your your business. So, um, all of the th- different uh, things we've talked about, whether it's SDN list or an expansion of the de minimis rule or FDPR, how could those impact your business and what's your exposure? So, one thing to do if if you haven't already done it is to um, look at your sanction screening policies and procedures. Uh, check your customers and business partners in real time against any kind of global sanctions list. So most organizations, right, they screen their customers, they screen their vendors, their suppliers, um, other counterparties against U.S. and international sanctions lists, just at a minimum. Right. So this is what we do at Viavi. We have automated sanctions screening um, processes. So you should be monitoring those parties. Uh, And if you use sanctioned screening software and you haven't already done so, now is a good time to make sure that your sanctioned screening software is up to date and it's frequently refreshed. And you're not going to have an issue with your sanctioned screening software of, yeah, it's going to take us, you know, two or three or four weeks to actually start adding some of these Russian entities um, to the software. So you should be getting daily alerts. Um, If one of your business partners is added to a sanctions list and don't set aside those alerts and try to resolve them at a later date. Right. You want to be looking at them in real time. If you are manually screening your um, your customers, your suppliers, et cetera, you know, make sure you're looking into specific Russian affiliated um, parties on a daily basis to be aware of, Okay, this is who we do business with in Russia or this is a Russian owned company. We need to be checking daily. And when those sanctions do come out, if they do, we need to be cross-checking. If we don't have automated um, um, software in place, we need to be cross-checking. This is who we do business with. And, hey, look, they just popped up as a new sanctioned party. Um, You should be identifying uh, and work with your contracts team or legal team or business development, whoever it is, you should be identifying your contracts with Russian entities or or individuals And reviewing those contracts to see uh, with regard to, for example, compliance with law clauses. Is this governed under U.S. law, Russian law, et cetera? Are there notice clauses in there, termination provisions that allow you to terminate contracts within a certain amount of time? Do you have a good force majeure for all you lawyers out there clause in your contract that will allow you to terminate the clause without any concerns about breach of contract Lawsuits or anything like that. Do you have good force majeure language where, if sanctions come down the pike that prevent you from doing business with that, um, with that customer, with that supplier, etc., where you can potentially terminate a contract without having to be too concerned about, um, um, you know, potential legal implications? There, you should know your customer, and this is something that I've already mentioned before. So. If you're dealing with a certain Russian entity uh, and you haven't already done so, you should see if they have any beneficial owners that are, um, that are Russian. So whether they're a Russian entity that's 100 percent Russian or they are uh, owned by a 50 percent or more by a Russian entity. So under the OFAC policy, if an entity is owned 50 percent or more by an SDN, someone who's on that specially designated national list, right? They're treated as an SDN. So 50% or more, they are treated as an SDN. So even if there's a customer who you don't think is Russian, you and there are plenty of uh, um, content providers and uh, software you can buy, or you can look on the OFAC, um, the 50% rule on their website, and they can help you track this. But you should be looking to see if the entities that you are dealing with are 50% or more owned by an SDN once that, um, if there are new SDNs, Russian SDNs added to that sanctions list. And again, you need to be cross-checking that. Um, Look to see what, what technology, what items, what products are you exporting to Russia? What Russian entities do you transact with? And think about whether or not you may need to apply for a license, whether it's from OFAC, whether it's from the State Department, whether it's from the Commerce Department, right? You may already need to apply now for a for a license to export to Russia. Is that potentially going to change in a couple days, in a couple weeks, where your license that ordinarily you'd be able to get without an issue, um, now there's a presumption of denial, right? You need to know that ahead of time. Or should you be planning now um, for potentially having to apply for licenses to certain Russian entities or companies that you didn't have to before? Uh, I think the other one is just kind of taking a look at your supply chain in general for any kind of business uh, disruption issues. So if you're reliant on a certain supplier or a certain service from a Russian entity or individual, now is a really good time to consider alternative sourcing, right? So if you're not in supply chain, talk to your supply chain folks, talk to your procurement folks and say, what do we source from Russia? Uh, Because we want to be prepared if in a few days from now or a few weeks from now, that supplier um, or all of Russia, but probably just that supplier or entity, goes on to a restricted list. Um, or there's a certain sectoral sanction relating to X, Y, or Z industry, and every supplier in that industry, we're going to have a hard time importing from them. So that's something that we did specifically. Actually, our our head of supply chain did that at our company, um, not just with Russian suppliers, but we looked at suppliers and actually sent letters to them, and inquired from them, do you, supplier who is not a Russian supplier, do you have sub-tier suppliers who are Russian? Because we want to know if in a few weeks from now, uh, whatever comes down the pike comes down the pike. We want to know if you, non-Russian supplier, are going to have a hard time getting whatever raw materials or products from your suppliers that in the end could then impact the supply chain and could impact lead times and when we, Viavi, are able to get um, the products and the the end products that we need. So it's not just it's not just the primary suppliers you probably want to be looking into. It's also those uh, sub tiers. There could be, and and I expect that there would be some kind of financial sanctions um, as well coming down. So looking at whether you have any kind of uh, outstanding debt from Russian entities or individuals, and if so. You may want to promptly pursue collection of those debts. It's going to be more difficult to collect payment from Russian entities, potentially, after financial section, um, sanctions are put into place. And then what you want to look at, I'd say, lastly, although I'm sure I could uh, think of more examples, but for the interest of time today, you know, looking at any kind of procurement or manufacturing activities uh, for goods that are intended for Russia and really look to see whether you can safely postpone or delay any of those activities, uh, for the, for the, uh, certainly for the immediate future. So a a lot of things to think about a lot of different, I'd say stakeholders, logistics, supply chain, um, you know, different parts of the, um, of, business development, and obviously trade control and export control and um, import compliance, if that's if that's different than your um, export control department in your company. But a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different things to think about, but I, I can't overemphasize enough. Thinking about them now, letting your, your head of logistics, letting your CCO, letting your CEO, letting your um, whoever, whoever it is within the company who needs to know ahead of time, This is what potentially the impact could be um, on on our company, Um, even if in the end it's for nothing. And it's really never for nothing. Right. Because if it's not if it's not this one, it'll be something else down the line. And if it's not Russia, it'll be someone else. But getting used to doing all all of this due diligence ahead of time and doing all of this checking ahead of time. So, you know, these are the um, these are the key stakeholders to communicate with in my business And these are the um, um, kind of the areas of focus where I need to make sure um, that we're up to date and have the correct information and know our customers and know who we're doing business with to mitigate any potential um, um, uh, sanctions, compliance
1: concerns down the line. We'll be back with more from Bat Silverman after this quick message from our sponsor. Matt, I hope our listeners will recall your appearance on the Compliance Life, where we talked about your journey to the Trade Director, uh, Director of Trade Compliance's chair. And uh, I ask you in the final podcast to, to maybe look down the road at, at some things and uh, to, uh, consider what trade compliance might be down the line. Yeah. I'm not sure. We recorded that in uh, late November or December. And uh, I'm not sure we 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 saw this one. No. Uh, if I could maybe tie that to one of the most prescient comments I heard during the pan- the height of the pandemic, which was we have moved from disaster recovery, or excuse me, we've um, moved from um uh to um um from disaster recovery to business continuity to business as usual. And we see this example now of a massive uh, potential um, change or disruption in trade because of sanctions, because of a, of a, a, a armed conflict. And uh, you and I are talking about this. Okay, what does this mean for our company? And it really drove home to me the message that really it is now. There are no black swan events. Uh, everything is business as usual. And what you have emphasized really throughout this and one of the key takeaways for me has been exactly what you said. You have to prepare. Even if it, diplomacy wins out and Russia does not invade the Ukraine, you've now got a template in place for the next time this happens or the time after that. And it seems to me that your job not only has become much more challenging, but you've laid out a roadmap to to help meet those challenges uh, going forward. So, it's incredibly, long, once again, long-winded way of introducing the topic of, um, as a trade compliance officer, as a trade compliance specialist, um, is it now imperative that you really be prepared for um, literally anything that, that's thrown at you by having processes in place like you have detailed for us here to think through, how would I respond? How would I prepare uh, what if it's China? What if it's uh, South Asia? What if it's Africa? Any of those places, and just maybe get your thoughts on how much more challenging your job has become, and and really the role of the trade compliance specialist. Yeah,
0: so I I, I appreciate that. So I think you hit the nail right right on the head there. Um, it, it it certainly makes my job more um, complex and and complicated, knowing that um, uh, knowing that things like this could could happen at any point. Right there's. Whether it's uh, uh, Russia or what happened in um, uh, Myanmar um, a few a few months ago, um, I mean, there's even obviously now issues with uh, with what's going on in, in Canada and and some import export issues there. So really, you know, geopolitics and what's going on in the world it's 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 a reason why I love doing what I do, um, and I, I enjoy talking to you on the Compliance Life. And I've been listening to your other Compliance Life with my. Uh, my former boss, Ellen Smith, who's also in, um, uh, was it was a trade director prior to becoming a a consultant now, and I know that's why she liked her job a lot too. Is um, it, is really the the international aspect of aspect of it, and how much geopolitics and what's going on in the news every day? It makes it for a job that is incredibly um, um, engaging and exciting, and there's always something new. It also makes for uh, a lot of difficulty and complexity. But I think um, you're absolutely right in what you said, which is uh, what you can do so that you're not completely caught off guard by the next geopolitical event, right, the next invasion of country A into country B, um, is that if you have a template like this, it it does kind of work across the board. And and I don't mean that, you know, it's exactly the same like what we saw with Iranian sanctions is going to be exactly the same with what we may see with Russian sanctions, but there's so much overlap. There's so much similarities, right? And like what I've already talked about with secondary sanctions and the foreign direct product rule. And you know, I mean, we know what it means for the most part to, or trade compliance officers know what it means for the most part to be on the country uh, you know, D list as opposed to country A or country B. So we kind of have an idea of what happens, right? Where, um, where we can plan ahead a little bit and say, okay, there's this conflict going on based on what we've seen in the past with Myanmar or based on what we've seen in the past with Crimea, um, um, where we can, we can look at a situation and say, we don't know exactly what's coming down the pike, but we have an idea and we can prepare by looking at things like our supply chain, um, our export licensing processes, Uh, And we can be at least a little bit a little bit prepared. So, you know, if today it's today, it's Russia and Ukraine um, tomorrow, it's maybe um, a different a different issue or a different country that's in conflict. And we do have to always look at the supply chain again and say, okay, now we're concerned with what's going on in China and Taiwan. Now we're concerned with India and Pakistan. But if you have that template in place and those questions, and okay, here's what we do, here's who the stakeholders are, here's what the general issues are, Um, you can kind of plug and play. You can kind of put in, okay, now we need to look at our supply chain in India, or now we need to look at our customers in uh, Argentina. And and that if you have that template already and you've already done the work, which is why I say it's really not a waste of time. If you're if you're listening to this thinking, oh, Russia's never going to invade Ukraine, or even if they do, they're not going to impose, you know, X, Y or Z sanctions. It's not a good idea to be prepared to know what that could look like, because it may serve you well um, down the line when it's a different country, uh, a, a, a different situation. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's complex and, and the sanctions environment has only become more complex, I'd say, um, in recent years. And that's, and that's bipartisan. There were certainly a lot under the Trump administration, um, but the Biden administration has also carried through a lot of the same export restrictions and, and sanctions programs. So it's, it's, that's bipartisan. Um, but it, it, it's become more complex, which makes it more interesting for the, for the, you know, the trade compliance lawyer or trade compliance professional. Um, but again, just as you, you emphasized, and hopefully I, I have, if you've done the preparation ahead of time and can kind of anticipate what could be coming, um, you are in a good, good shape, um, to be able to make those decisions when you need to, if, if you really have a good understanding of how it impacts your business and what the potential implications could be to your business um, based in part of what's what's happened um you know in previously past past is prologue as they say um so i i think that's a good good lesson to take with for any 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 trade compliance attorney or professional who's or or just compliance professional in general who's trying to figure out how to predict what might what may be coming in the future and uh and how to prepare for
1: it man i'd like to end with uh a couple of other thoughts from your uh discussion of what can be done to prepare Uh, I've talked to lots of uh, compliance officers and others around human trafficking and modern slavery, and some companies have decided they're going to go through their entire supply chain uh, down to every level uh, to see if they have any of those issues. And what they've discovered is inefficiencies in their supply chain from the business perspective, leaving aside the issue of the human trafficking or modern slavery, and that they have found the exercise of going through that to be a, a business, business positive in terms of decreasing costs, increasing business efficiency, and most important, making their supply chains more resilient if disruption occurs. And it struck me in listening to you, you said several yeah. things that that would seem to fall right into that. Know your customer, uh, check your supply chains, uh, see where your products are coming from, see who the people who are using some of the similar uh, um, uh, basic products or, or inputs to your equipment and understanding are you, are any of your distributors or others doing business with Russia? And it really gives you a much more comprehensive look at your business. Uh, when you sit down with the operational folks, the BD folks, uh, do they understand that by going through this type of exercise, even if it's focused on trade compliance, there are other business benefits from it
0: yeah I, I a, that's a good question so I, I, I think they do and I and I try to emphasize it especially with maybe parts of the business or certain internal stakeholders um, who who don't seem to understand it as well and I'm very fortunate I work at a, at a, at a company where um, I, I think all of those issues are well understood um, protecting supply chain being able to predict supply chain um, issues down the road. Uh, as well as just you know ethical um, ethical concerns with regard to modern slavery or things like that. So you know I think about um, the the recent you know situation that has become quite prominent now with the um, um, the the Uyghurs in, in China and um, what the U.S. government has already said and done in terms of making sure that companies are looking into uh, where they are sourcing from. Um, there's obviously a lot of you know. Uh, we like everyone's talking about ESG nowadays, and there's obviously a lot of, you know, ESG and, and reputation and, and things like that that come into play in terms of where we do business and where we source from. But as, as we've seen, seen recently, now, now it's a, um, you know, even if you're not doing it for a reputational perspective, even if you're not doing it to make yourself appear to be a really above board company with high morals and ethics, it is becoming now, um, you know, um, um, required, uh, that you can face fines or penalties or be prevented from importing certain products, right, if you're not doing a good job in terms of the due diligence that you're doing with your supply chain and where you are sourcing from and who you are sourcing from. Um, it's not just a reputational issue, not that that's not serious enough, um, but it's not just a reputational issue or an ethical issue. It's all of those. And you can say see um, serious penalties and serious interruptions in your, um, in your supply chain if you're not doing that due diligence. So I, I try to emphasize that, you know, at this company, at, at every, really every company that I've worked for in working with the operational folks, the supply chain folks, um, it can be a headache, right? It's extra work to do in doing that due diligence and sending out um, letters of assurance or end use statements or doing due diligence with our suppliers and understanding who they themselves source from, their sub tiers. Um, it's more work to be done, um, but in the end, uh, there's there's a lot of good reasons to do it. There's a lot of legal reasons, a lot of ethical reasons, um, a lot of reputational reasons and business reasons to do it. And I think that for those who, who have a hard time uh, maybe convincing or or helping parts of the business understand why that needs to be done more and more these days, it, you know, if you can emphasize all those different aspects—financial, legal, ethical, reputational, etc.—maybe, um, fortunately or hopefully, you get a little less pushback when it comes to that. And you know, even even if the end someone's um, um, uh, upset that it, it takes a little bit more time out of their day, at least they understand operationally and from a business standpoint why why the legal and compliance group is asking for that additional. Um, due diligence to be done. Because in the end, it really, the goal is for it to um, have a lesser impact on your supply chain, or if it does have an impact to know that ahead of time so that you can, you know, start sourcing from somewhere somewhere else, or start making those decisions ahead of time um, before, you know, something gets to the border and custom stops it. And then, then then you find out, right. Doing that proactive, um, taking that proactive approach, preparing ahead of time, knowing your customer. Sorry, I know I'm repeating myself, but it is um, it's so important nowadays, especially in the um, in the trade compliance field. So, um, yeah, I I, I I think you really uh, nailed it right there. And I'm in complete agreement with you. It's uh, um, very, very dynamic and always changing, um, but but a really important and important uh, part of what of what I do and what my team does every day.
1: Well, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But I, before we go, I wanted to ask you if anyone wanted any more uh, information or perhaps follow up with you uh, on any of the topics you've raised. How could the what would be the best way for them to do so?
0: Yeah, thanks um, so much, Tom, for having me on. I really really appreciate it. This has been something that um, obviously um, I, I've been working on a, a lot for the really in the past few weeks and if not month or so in terms of preparing my own company. And, and so um, I'm, I'm more than happy to just kind of talk to anyone uh, uh, informally uh, about uh, what some of their concerns are if or if they had any questions. So I can be reached um, at my work email, which is Matthew.Silverman, that's Silverman, uh, at Viavi Solutions, that's V-I-A-V-I, in the word solutions.com. Um, you can also find me pretty... Pretty easily on uh, LinkedIn, Matthew Silverman. Uh, More than happy to kind of reach out and do some benchmarking. You know, I'd like to think after having done um, trade and export compliance, now I'm Oh gosh, I don't even know. Coming on to 15 years or so at a couple different companies, um, I've got a, a pretty good idea of what what I'm doing. Um, but I'm always very happy to to benchmark with other people in the in the industry and have conversations just like this about about what they're doing at their own at their own company. Because, uh, like we've already emphasized, it's it's really a dynamic field, and, and there's always always new things to learn every day. So I uh, I, I appreciate anyone reaching out, and, and I uh, hope that this was uh, informative to the listeners today.
1: Well, Matt, thanks again, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope you will check out my five-part podcast series on the trial of the century, the Enron trial, which recently premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network. In this podcast series, I visit with business journalist Lauren Steffi, who covered the trial for the Houston Chronicle as its business columnist we take a look at what led to the trial, some of the key witnesses and moments from the trial, and what the trial inevitably meant going forward. It's a fascinating look at the Enron trial some 15 years after it occurred. I know you'll enjoy this special podcast series. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.